Welcome to Everything Life Coaching with John Kim and Noel Cardo, founders of Journey Coaching. If you're inspired to begin your own life coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit journey.co. That's J-R-N-I.co. Hey guys, on today's episode, we're going to talk about coaching for teams and groups. And I want to start with a quote by Henry Ford. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. And working together is success. Noel, good morning. Yes. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, and I'm excited for this topic, um, partially because you have such long experience with groups and also to kind of explore this psychologically from the perspective of two people who don't have any formal business training, but found themselves being managers of teams. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we were just thrown in it. <laughs> totally. We were thrown in it. And, and sometimes I think that having a background in coaching and positive psychology and therapy really helps because as we'll learn, healthy relationships are so much the cornerstone of effectiveness at work. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think if you don't have uh, this kind of training, you could end up um, trying to control, you know, that whole like running a group uh, or a company with an iron fist, you know, that happens a lot if you um, don't have training to, to create that safe space. Absolutely. And when I talk to folks who are working on issues of workplace well-being and employee happiness, the one thing that I hear consistently is people don't leave organizations because they don't like their jobs. They leave organizations because mm -hmm. they don't like their managers. You know what? That makes me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's, it's like that shouldn't be the case. It should be the case because that the work doesn't match them or fulfill them, not because of the uh, the management. Absolutely. And, you know, and bringing in a bridge of empathy for managers as well. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a terrible manager. I want to create a miserable experience. A lot of times when managers are given feedback, they are shocked that they're not measuring up in terms of employee well-being. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of um, the way that people manage uh, is fear-based? It's really hard to say. One of yeah. the biggest um, disconnects that I've seen in recent years is that managers are typically promoted because they're very good at their jobs, but they're yeah. not necessarily good at interpersonal relationships, working with people, caring about people, bringing in the whole life approach. And that's fair, you know, to be very good at your job is one thing and to be very good at managing people is a completely different skill set. Yeah, but then I wonder, um, since I believe that it, with leadership, managing people is part of it, then are you really good at your job? Like right, if, you're, well, if, if your performance is good, yet the team is crumbling, you know, then are you really good at your job? Then, yeah, and a lot of that is it comes down to smoke and mirrors, you know, skirting yeah. by, getting through. And yeah. another thing that I see that I've heard a lot of managers talk to me about is um, intergenerational divides where folks who are Gen X and older kind of have this mentality that you work, you come to work and you work and you're happy yeah, for scraps yeah. that are tossed your way and you suffer and you keep your head down. And that's changing with younger generations where work is more of a uh, purpose-driven occupation. 
folks want to be treated fairly, have their work attached to meaning, um, and are kind of demanding a shakeup and a change in work environments across the board. Yeah, you bring up such a great point. And uh, it's because, you know, being 47, I have my foot in both. So um, being raised by, you know, immigrant Korean parents where all they did was work and their idea of success was you put in 14 hours a day, you know, work comes before everything and they grind it. And then um, my other foot in this new generation where, no, it's not about working harder. It's about working smarter and it's about designing your life. And it's about other things that are just as important as work that you um, put into your life. So it's so work, the whole work life balance thing, you know? Oh, very much so. And I think that's where, the divide really needs to be bridged. And that's where coaching comes into place. I remember years ago, Google did a landmark study about employee satisfaction. And across the board, it was shown that managers who ask about your employees' goals, ask about their whole lives, understand if they have kids, if they don't, you know, how kind of having a whole picture of not just somebody who's coming in and, and being a cog in a machine are the managers that really help their teams flourish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you're, you're a great example of that. I mean, um, just watching the way that, uh, you know, you spearhead journey and also seeing your growth uh, personally and professionally. Um, you've always made an effort to to humanize yourself. You've always made a space to be empathetic. And I think uh, that's, you know, that's everything when it comes to, um, you know, working at journey. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And I, it's not, it's hard. It's really hard to actually strike that balance and make sure that things are getting done, that initiatives are moving ahead and kind of structuring things so that we're not just focused on the whole person. I think that that's probably an area that I need to grow a little bit more. So let's take a look at this. Um, Ron Friedman is one of the leading researchers in happy organizations. And if you're thinking about your own office, and even if you're not a decision maker, there are three aspects that we can all bring into our workplace every day. And I think that this is becoming increasingly more apparent how important um, the different kinds of balances are as we're in this pandemic land where work is really changing and our concepts of work at home are getting blurred. So step number one is a work-life balance that supports employee well-being. Yes. 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 To this a thousand percent. <laughs> Let's go deeper yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll get there. But so, you know, work-life balance, what does that look like for you? For me, so this resonates with me because uh, I, I never had work-life balance because uh, in screenwriting and uh, working in various treatment centers, it was all about um, punching the clock and putting in the hours and, and grinding. And then um, as I started to, to go through my rebirth and kind of like uh, ask myself what's what's important in my life and how do I want to live it, um, I realized uh, being well, being well and making an effort to do that is is part of work. It's like your responsibility to be well so you can be more productive, you know, that you could bring more to the table. And uh, so, yeah, so for me, um, this is huge. It's something that I really try to try to, uh, you know, hold up high now as far as priority. 
It is huge. And, you know, this begs the question of when individuals aren't at work, what are they doing with their time? What do they want to be doing with their time? You know, you have a new little baby at home. Um, You're enjoying all of the aspects that come with fatherhood. You're sleeping less. And so, you know, taking into account where you are in life in order to create this kind of balance, those things need to be not only on the table, but kind of held up by the entire organization as valid, as viable places for time to be spent so that when you are at the table, that is work, you're committed to it because we have those brief moments together. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, the work-life balance thing is, is that definition is also tricky for me because there's another part of me that doesn't believe in balance. Meaning, um, if you want to be great at anything in this world, there, there, it requires obsession. It requires, uh, you to, to really, in a way, lose yourself, you just got to come back. But you know, the amount of hours it takes to be good at anything, whether it's life coaching, running a team, or blogging, or, or writing, or or anything athletic, that takes a ton of work. You know, you can't just say um, I'm going to balance my life and then also want to be really great. And that's a fantastic point. So let's move on to number two because I think it kind of rolls right in. So the second thing that you can do to cultivate an extraordinary work environment is to create environments at work that actually promote engagement. Yes, this is also, and this is a hot topic now because so many people are working from home. So so many people are working from home, but as you're talking about that obsessive quality of, of working hard, of figuring it out, of getting over the hump, to me, that's engagement. So when you're at work, there needs to be an environment that is mentally stimulating, that is exciting, that people are engaged, that they're in flow, that they have opportunities to experience flow so that you can get to that kind of obsessive, lose track of space and time flow state. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, of, one memory that comes to my mind is um, I was working for this treatment center and uh, in order to go to the restroom, um, you had to sign out. <laughs> and I remember it was probably the worst job I've ever had. Um, and I remember sitting in the bathroom stall uh, and there was a low when I was actually crying, um, wondering how I was going to get out of this and feed myself and save my marriage. And uh, I just remember that the space that they created was so toxic that it really felt like I was I was in a prison. Ugh. That's, and yeah. that, I think everybody can relate to that soul-sucking feeling of I just can't drag myself. I just can't yeah. force myself through yeah. this. And, you know, it's mm. it's fascinating to me looking out into the world. And I've worked in shops like that where, you know, there's this pervasive feeling that if we just control people a little bit more, then, then what? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the outcome of you signing out to go to the bathroom, you know? Well, well, they got nothing out of me other, you know, as far as like any kind of gifts that I had, because I was in a toxic, um, I mean, it was a basically toxic relationship. So with them trying to control me, they didn't get any, um, any gifts out of me. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it they just killed them. <laughs> yeah. And and so and that's that bleeds right into number three of satisfying basic psychological needs for autonomy, developing competence and relating to other people. And those last three, that comes from self-determination theory. And so these are just these are straight up action steps, just like John was talking about, you know, crying in the bathroom at work. That is never an experience that I want 
anybody to have at our shop. Um, I, I've cried at work. I've cried out of frustration. Um, I've cried because I'm exhausted. I've cried uh, maybe once or twice out of anger. Um, but it's, it's never been because I was being controlled. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then there's also, you know, from there, there's anger, there's resentment, there's a lot of buildup that's going to happen too. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about autonomy and, and this can be really, this can be really scary for, um, managers and, and mid-level and upper level managers to really wrap their head around is what's the balance. So, you know, looking at your own team, John, how do you, what's your relationship with the autonomy of other people like? Um, so, yeah, so with me and especially this year, you know, as, as my, uh, my brand grows, um, I, I actually try to kind of follow what you do, which is create a space where um, people can um, thrive and be happy and do their own thing. And you're allowing them to swim at the same time. Um, of course, there's, you know, things that need to get done and there's, you know, to do's and there's tasks, but um, that balance, it, it's hard. But um, I, I think because I, I know for me, what's important um, in, in all the, the my partnerships or even a, as an employee is when someone gives me that space, I just want to do more and I really value it. And so I, I do my best to give that space to um, people on, on my teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes it takes high levels of trust. It yeah. takes high levels of ego checking to really let people go. And, uh, you know, everything that I've been reading about this topic that's been repeated over and over and over again is that people need to be able to innovate and explore without being afraid of making a mistake. Yes. And that, that requires um, trust. Mm -hmm. and, and let's be real. Mistakes happen. You know, things go, things go backwards up, down, and across all the time. Just as I was leaving to go on vacation, I was on a call um, and somebody realized that the website was broken. And I was like, all right, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Like, tell me, tell me when it's fixed. I'll be back right. in a week. Like, you know, and so I think it would be so easy to get wrapped around the axle and want to stay on that problem and stay on that mm -hmm. problem until it's fixed. But realistically, there's nothing that I could do. So, you know, even giving people the space to make mistakes and then fix them, um, it really helps in terms of just the psychological ability to wake up every day and not feel afraid. Yeah, I mean, I think letting go of the wheel is, is extremely difficult, um, especially if you're someone that's used to, um, you know, a, 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 a having control in your life, if you uh, tend to be a perfectionist, all of that stuff, it's going to bring you anxiety. Oh, sure. Yeah. This is an interesting one, especially with um, the changing space of work with COVID is personalized space. How do you mm. think that in virtual environments, we can help people to have their own kind of signature spaces? Yeah, um, I think we're all learning that now. I think um, the the idea of of creating life within your life, especially when uh, you can't go outside or, you know, when you're working from home, um, the, the word that comes to my mind is uh, structure, you know, like if you're working from home, the days can bleed where you're just uh, on the couch uh, doing nothing um, without structure and without spaces inside your home where this, this is where you do this, this is where you do that. Um, it, it, it's really hard to be productive. It's really hard to feel motivated. 
Oh, sure. And I was even thinking along the lines of, you know, having everybody in the team really craft a, a neat signature or a quote, or mm-hmm. just the emailing styles are so different and to kind of celebrate those differences and say, wow, how yeah. can we put our own personal stamp and have our own personality show up in the roles that we do have? Yeah, I think it's the connection among the, um, the team. You know, mm-hmm. so whether whether it's email or Zoom or Slack or it doesn't matter, uh, that banter, that connection, that kind of um, knowing that we're all in this together, holding hands. I think that's what uh, creates, you know, uh, it creates an emotional structure and, and safety. Oh, yeah. And, and with that is meaningful and personalized recognition, just really taking time to get to know someone and set aside time. And we kind of do this naturally. We're really good at gratitude bombing. Um, and you asked me for my two-year goals that I've been avoiding. I, I want to sit down and write it this week. Um, and just kind of knowing you know, where everybody wants to go in life really helps with understanding, gee, you know, this is a whole person perspective. Like, you just you just hit on something that I think is so important. Um, and I actually, you know, I, I asked my my assistant to do the two year thing. And you know what's interesting is in two years she doesn't even see herself working for me. <laughs> and so and so there's a part of me that's like, wait a minute, um, you know, uh, you're really great at being my assistant. I don't want you to go. And then there's another part of me that's like, oh, I'm really happy for you. I want you to go pursue your dreams that are bigger than being my assistant, you know? And that's that's what's hard. It's like, um, but that's what builds trust is like, you know, championing um, individual stories and whatever whatever those are, you know? So not instead of um, grabbing, like holding holding them, you know, with two hands. Yeah, it's and I think so much of the the work that we take time to do on ourselves in our personal relationships, we would be incredibly well served if we brought that over into the workspace. You know, not being afraid of someone moving on, not being afraid of growth, not clinging to people so tightly that they're like, I don't like the way this feels. Yeah, and then you know, taking a look at at the what happens in these high quality relationships and and how that can be done at work. Um, a lot of the research says that workplace friendships are a strong predictor of job satisfaction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how could they not be? Because, um, you know, working with other people, I mean, having that community yeah, you know, it, for me, it's the same thing with fitness, going to classes and hanging out with people, having that social engagement just makes me uh, want to work hard, harder with my connection to my body. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And those friendships feed collaboration. They mm-hmm. feed um, psychological safety to take risks. Right, um, right. And, and the other piece that I thought was really interesting that I want to give a little bit more thought to, and I'd love your take on it, is having an established narrative for your team mm-hmm. or your company that gives everybody a sense of purpose and direction in a shared goal. So when you talk about creating a narrative to give a team of purpose, are you talking about um, everyone holding on to the same flag? Are you talking about a mission statement? What do you, what do you mean by creating a narrative? I think it's all of the above. And I was just coming at it from, you know, a pure coaching perspective of of self-determination, of maybe saying, okay, well, this is the mission of the company. What part of this do you adhere to? Or for your given role, how do you want to reflect the values of the company in your own work? And, and maybe even creating these little spaces for people to 
have um, mastery experiences in aligning with mission and vision within their own little role. I think that process um, makes the, the the work and the company bigger than them. And so uh, it, it's very empowering. You know, it doesn't feel like you're, you're in it on your by yourself. It feels like you're, you're doing something that that's bigger than you. Yep. Shared goal, moving in the same direction and attaching to meaning and purpose. I mean, this is positive psychology 101 that has emphasized the personal benefits of relationships and connectedness. So it's good for business too. Yeah. You know what I love about this is um, it really doesn't set these principles and, and these spaces um, aren't just in work and they're not just in relationships. They kind of overlap into all areas. I mean, it's basically um, you want this kind of stuff in your relationships, but also at work and, and they, they, uh, they're the same. 100%. Healthy teams, healthy communities, healthy families. It's all about autonomy, a place to be wrong, a place to be vulnerable, shared vision, attaching to values and meaning. And, you know, you heard it here, guys. If you want to come on down to Journey Coaching and get trained up on all this stuff, it will impact every single facet of your life. Yeah. And I also want to say that um, coaching just isn't about coaching individuals. I mean, if you want to um, coach teams, if you want to be a better leader, if you want to run companies, um, the, the, the training in coaching will help you uh, do all of that. All day long. All day. Thank you so much. Yep. This was a fun conversation. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys. Be well. Ready to cut through the BS of becoming a coach? Snag John and Noelle's six-step guide to becoming a life coach at journey.co slash everything. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O slash everything. If what you've heard here today speaks to you and you want to learn a little bit more about becoming a coach, visit journey.co, J-R-N-I dot C-O. We've graduated nearly a thousand coaches and offer vibrant community strong lifetime support, and world-class coaching education. We're fully ICF accredited and look forward to watching how you use coaching to make a bigger impact in the world around you.